Welcome to Marketing with Confidence. I'm your host, Marianne Amies. We're going to be talking all things digital and online marketing for business owners and marketing professionals. If you've been feeling overwhelmed by your digital marketing, be sure to listen along and you'll hear tips, interviews and more that will give you the confidence to create marketing you love. Welcome back to the Marketing with Confidence podcast. I'm so excited to be joined today by Sarah Spence. Hi, Sarah. Hello. Thanks for having me. Oh, my absolute pleasure. I've wanted to have you on for a long time as you're, you know, such an expert in your field. And I'm so excited to have you here today sharing all your expertise with our listeners. Thank you. I'm very, very happy to be here. (laughs) Look, to kick off, Can you tell everyone a little bit about yourself and how you came to carve out your space as a content copywriting expert? Sure. Um, Well, I guess I'd start with it. I currently have the pleasure and challenge of leading a pretty fast-growing content Mm -hmm. marketing agency. Um, But two years ago, it wasn't like it is now. I was freelancing. I was a freelance copywriter with a business that was growing, but I didn't really know where I wanted to take it, or even yeah. if I wanted to have a business, um, I was just kind of holding things together with a bit of sticky tape and, <laughs> and subcontractors. And I took the plunge to actually hire my first employee at the end of 2020. And it's it's been quite a roller coaster yeah. since. Um, but I've always, in terms of being the kind of expert, I guess, I've, I've always been a writer um, ever since I was little. And I've definitely... Um, spent quite a bit of time honing my skills as a copywriter. Yeah, when I was traveling overseas in my twenties, um, and it then just seemed like the logical step when I had my first kid to yeah. get into that freelance kind of copywriting career because I I had well we had no money. My husband mm-hmm. had a very inflexible job, and I needed a way to earn an income that was yeah. going to be that kind of family friendly ish income. So. I, even though I had the copywriting skills, what I then added to that was a lot of learning around strategy and SEO in particular. And I started to grow the business mainly through a kind of referral network and just, you know, I wasn't in it for what it is now. As I said, I just, I just really wanted to do good work. And I think that's the thing that had the greatest impact on me carving out a space even though I feel deeply uncomfortable about it, but being seen as <laughs> seen as a bit of an expert in this space um, was because even from those early days, I just really struggled to take people's money and mm. just be a copywriter or yeah. just take a brief. Um, you know, perhaps it's like the stubborn toddler <laughs> that still exists <laughs> inside me, but it just didn't feel right. And I really, I honestly struggled to sleep sometimes thinking yeah. that, you know, a small business client who we all know because you and I both have small businesses, yeah. we don't have heaps of money yeah. and that they would say, hey, you know, we'd like you to write our website content um, and this is what you want. we want you to say or here, you know, we want you to write 10 blog posts um, and this is what we want them to be about. And I knew I could do that and I could create mm-hmm. great copy, but the strategy behind it was the stuff that I struggled with because I was kind of like, well, if I just write those 10 blog articles, like how do we know that they're actually going to deliver yeah. you any value? Yeah. Um, and so I started to basically say, look, I, I'll, yes, sure, I'll do the copy, but can I take a look at the strategy or can we talk about the goal of these yeah. and kind of do that more content marketing piece on top of the copywriting? Um, and I think that's what really 
kind of helped me grow, A, it grew the mm. business, but B, grew in our client size that we weren't just you know, writing something and then kind of sending it out into the yeah. ether and not taking any responsibility for the results. Yeah, I was going to say, it feels like a real duty of care conversation. And and I think you and I both know in our, you know, marketing and content digital industries, you hear so many stories of small businesses being burned, you know, someone coming in, promising them the world, them paying a hefty fee and getting absolutely nothing. And I think for you to both recognize that there's like a duty of care, you know, I don't want to just tick this box for you. Um, I want to make sure that the the box is ticked and then there's something back at the end for you and that you're maximising it. You know, that's obviously so deeply, deeply caring, but then to almost be able to spin that into its own niche of combining, you know, seeing copywriting as bigger than just the, the ticker box and how can I make that a whole strategy of content and the impact that that can have. You know, I guess that's where you probably found a sweet spot that other people just weren't seeing at that point. Yeah. And I think as well, because uh, like, and I've been part of, you know, some great copywriting communities and mm. so many copywriters do, you know, we we tend to all be uh, relative introverts and <laughs> they do struggle with imposter syndrome and confidence yeah. and all of those kind of classic things. Um, and how that then plays out is in not necessarily being able to actually provide as much value as you would otherwise. Yeah. Like being able to f- somehow find the confidence in yourself to say to a client, actually, no, I'm, I'm not going to write you that blog article about uh, wedding flowers because actually there's no point because yeah. you, you know, for instance, you're never going to rank in Google for that because no. you know, your lovely small florist is just not going to be able to compete with the floriads and whatever else. Yeah. Um, and, you know, so maybe the better way to talk about your wedding services is actually to, you know, maybe create a beautiful ebook and share that with local wedding venues or mm. it's to... Um, you know, post or get photos from your clients who have had weddings with you and get the photos from their weddings and then share them through social media. Mm. Um, so it's just, yeah, thinking about it in a broader way than that, but having the confidence to even do that. Like yeah. um, for me, I found that confidence because I just, I refused to, I refused to not be able to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to be able to sleep. And therefore I was like, I can't do, I can't write this blog on wedding flowers yeah. and take this money because it's not going to do anything yeah. for them. And as I said, that sets your part because as we know, you know, people play, I, I think that the area I've seen it the worst is with websites because, um, you know, business owners don't understand what it takes to build a website. You know, 10, oh, probably 12 years ago, you know, I started helping clients with websites and then started, you know, then started hearing what they paid for the website. And I was like, what? How did you pay, you know, 20 grand for what is essentially the simplest WordPress site I've ever seen? And it and it was people, businesses playing to the lack of knowledge, lack of awareness. And obviously they have no problem sleeping, you know. Yeah. <laughs> they were just playing to that lack of knowledge. And and I think again that with what you were saying, those blog posts, it, it is a lack of knowledge. Like they do yeah. They do believe if they write the one article on wedding flowers, they're going to get on on the front page or they're going to, you know, it's going to have some big impact. But, you know, as you've said and as we know, it's such a big web of content infrastructure that's going to move the needle, not just one one one-off random, you know, I popped this up once and, and, and now I should be a success story. And I think, yeah, having the 
integrity to actually care about those outcomes is, you mm. know, obviously, again, why you've grown so much so yeah. fast. Although sometimes I wish I maybe oh, didn't yeah. care so it much. <laughs> Same. Maybe, you know, maybe I'd be much have... richer. Yes, exactly. But then also, you know, I do like my sleep, so I know, but like, couldn't we be sleeping on some, like, island in the the south of France. <laughs> I would sure totally sleep better over there even yeah, if I would... we were doing, you know, dodgy practices. Surely we'd sleep better just that European sun. <laughs> I know. I know because it's also like I when we don't particularly work with small businesses these days. Yeah. Um, you know, we we're an agency, you know, it it just we cost too much basically yeah, now, which right. I totally get. Yeah. Um, but it used to be my favorite thing to do to basically tell small businesses that they didn't need what we did oh, I know. Um, because, yeah. you know, they'd come to us wanting X, Y, Z, and I'd be like, no, literally all you need to do is you need to start, you know, posting every day on your Google My Business yeah. profile or you need to start sharing more consistently on socials or yeah. whatever it was. It's like you don't need blogs. In fact, your website messaging is it's adequate, but nobody's yeah. actually really engaging with you with there you. yeah mm-hmm. it's like let's mm-hmm. just yeah I don't want to take your money and you'd see them kind of go what? oh okay and funnily enough though that's often often then that's what did convert clients because then they were yeah. like right well what, <laughs> you've actually told us the truth now so well how can we work with you yeah. what what do you do that we can actually you know use or what do we need to do to get our ducks in a row so that then yeah. what you do is going to be valuable yeah so, yeah. Which is, you know, again, which is such a, you know, better place to come from as a business owner and, and only sets you up to have a, you know, a, a more sustainable business. But again, that integrity piece to actually feel good about the work that you're doing. So tell me, Sarah, as a CEO of your business, you know, how how do you balance working on and working in the business? <laughs> balance. Um, yeah, I was going to say, uh, I don't. <laughs> Uh, I wish I did a wee bit more, but no, it's such a constant struggle. Yeah. Um, trying to balance the, I feel like it's like four different things. There's the balancing the need of our team, yeah. balancing the needs of our clients, balancing resolving issues. So mm. things that are potentially going wrong or, or have gone wrong in the past um, and trying to innovate yeah. at the same time. It's I've come to the conclusion, I've I've actually, in recent weeks, I have been time tracking like a mofo. (laughs) And it is, it's something we get the team to do. And I've done it myself on and off, but we, Mm. we really saw the need for actually, we all need to be, be hitting the mark with gathering that data of what we spend our time on. Um, And it's actually been a little bit demoralizing to see how much time I have been tracking and yeah. realizing that I'm actually doing about four different jobs yeah. as the CEO. Yeah. Uh, so it's no wonder that I'm really tired <laughs> and survive <laughs> off coffee. I love that Wise Up's, uh, yes. one of Wise Up's values is coffee because I feel like that should be mine too. 100%. Um, <laughs> but but things I, was, I guess I've tried in the past and I've I know have helped me. So, you know, you're always going to have to work in the business mm. as a small business owner, but working on the business I've, I've sometimes got into a relatively good rhythm with things like having, you know, one day a month completely yeah. blocked out in my diary and just spending the day with some big A1 posters and Sharpies and yeah. just doing stuff. Um, and the other one that I did try for a little while and I really want to get back into is going and having breakfast by myself mm. once a week. Yeah. And taking a printout of 
which I know is probably not the best for the environment, but it's not a lot of paper I'm talking about here, but <laughs> taking a printout, you know, of the business financials, yeah. of our objectives, of maybe the time tracking or whatever, and just looking at something off the screen yeah. that's going to help me feel a bit better about feeling yeah. in control. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the dynamics just all shift so quickly. It's hard to kind of continue with those practices. Oh, 100%. And I think the the problem solving especially, you know, I feel like that's the one that always upsets the apple cart. Like you you kind of, you might still be doing a little bit of client work and then, you know, you kind of know the business on the business factors that you need to keep your eye on and then it's the problem solving, you know, it's the staff changeover or it's uh, even sometimes the, uh, the new exciting prospect and then you want to dive lots of information, you know, lots of your time into that or it's, some other operational issue and it's I think that one for me I find the most relatable as you where you kind of go I've got all the Friday like it's a really clear day and then you're in the trenches yeah (laughs) like where did that day go and and even if you have this happened to me a few times even if you have the day set aside and you keep it clear and you you know you finish up your week let's say on a Thursday afternoon and you're ready it's been all of the micro decisions all week long that mean that by the time you come to Friday, you you actually can't think expansively. No. It's very hard to put yourself in that mindset because you're trying to recover. Yeah. Um, maybe I should be doing it on a Monday instead of a Friday. That might well, I started doing Wednesdays. So Wednesdays I work from home and I do like my personal development. I do my business development. You know, I do my podcasts. I do my um, coaching like for clients that I'm coaching. And then I do my like the coaching I receive. So every Wednesday and it sort of became born because I would, I made Friday, Friday is my wise up day where I'll just work on wise up, but no, Friday became cleaning up the messes day. And week after week, you're always going to trade the on the business for the in the business because, you know, the client is the priority, the team is the priority. Um, And so then I sort of shifted things around and made it, made it Wednesday. And, you know, Again, sometimes things pop up on a Wednesday and I have to get deep into, you know, client or problem solving, but at least it's early enough in the week that maybe then I can recover some time later in the week. But this is one of those challenges I think that we, yeah, that we're constantly juggling. Yeah. I And I don't think, I mean... I don't think we'll ever, it's never solvable (laughs) either. I mean, it would be lovely to be, but I think it's about um, actually some of the best advice I got when I was starting out this whole journey was from a a friend of mine who has his own agency that has grown incredibly Mm. in in Canberra and they're a a digital agency as well called RD Consulting. Mm. And the CEO there is Colin Anstey, who's a a very good friend of ours. And um, he used to like on his drive into work, he and I would have a chat yeah. about once once a month, I think it was. And I was really struggling as the business was growing. I was really struggling with just how chaotic it was and how mm. out of control I felt. And, you know, there's all these opportunities, but I just like my mental health was really yeah. struggling to keep up with it. And he said to me, the sooner that you can feel comfortable with the chaos, mm the sooner it's going to feel better for you because ultimately you're never going to solve the chaos. If you are a small business owner or you are, you know, in a business that's either growing or it's declining, there is always chaos. Yeah. 
And so the sooner you can kind of shift your perspective on that and feel comfortable with that as the norm and let it not overwhelm you. And and it's something you and I have talked about privately about, you know, reframing that as being beautiful chaos. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the soon because it, it's just about acceptance, right? Yeah. That you you don't constantly get caught up in the stress of it because the stress is always going to be there. The chaos yeah. is always going to be there. Um, so it's just you've just got to work on yourself. It comes back to that boring stuff about like <laughs> mental well-being that we all just know we should do. But I know, I know, self-development, self-care. Um, but I love that. And yeah, you're right. We we definitely have spoken about that. But I think, yeah, finding the calm in the chaos. And and I guess the chaos is also what pushes you forward. You know, without it, if if everything was just stable and and mild, we probably wouldn't push forward because we'd just sit in that comfort zone. Well, this is comfy. This is nice. So yeah. it, it it's it is necessary. Um, what about morning habits? Do you have certain morning habits that set you up for success? Uh, yeah, I do. I have a very like strict morning routine Ooh. which I don't always strictly do though <laughs> <laughs> but my definite setup for success is I get up before the kids have woken up um, so yeah. I've got an almost nine almost six year old those mm. the al- almost is really important to them of course um, <laughs> and I get up before they get up and I go for a walk which generally kind of is when it's dark and then the sun rises while I'm mm. walking and I live in a beautiful part of the world on dark and dunge country um, here at Avoca Beach and it's it's glorious. It's very cold often, but at yeah. least, you know, it's beautiful. So I do that. I come home, I make a cup of green tea with lemon and I make my husband his morning coffee and then I go and have a snuggle in, in bed with oh. the three of them and then I get myself ready and I come to work. And if that all lines up beautifully, then that feels like it's a good oh, yeah. you know, set up for success. The percentage of days when that does all light up perfectly is relatively small but you know when it does it's it it's it's amazing and it's just all about just getting myself in the right mindset I think for what are often very very busy days and it's that filling your cup isn't it you know like getting out in nature spending time with family like it is all a nice uh you know fill your cup experience to start your day and I'm I'm such a sucker for staying in bed it's it's I said it so many times on this podcast I'm like I'm sure people like we know you like to stay in bed but on the days that I do actually like yesterday I I got up just before six and I went and had a walk with a friend and it it is amazing like I do feel Mm. so much better and I can face so much more in the day and it it is such a special way to start the day I think getting out Mm. in nature and it's sort of like I need to continually remind myself that that last little hour of sleep, it's not actually as great. And, you know, usually I'm doing it in small bursts because I'm waking and then I'm snoozing and I would be so much better off just getting up and getting out. But it's, you know, t- telling yourself, you know, do the hard things, do the hard things. Yeah. But they, once you get into the habit, of course, oh. and it's not hard so much anymore, but it is, no. um, yeah, I kind of tried to, because, you know, when you become a parent and when mm. you're, you know, busy as a business owner or even in a you know a big role or wherever whatever stage you're at really yeah. I think once when you particularly when you become a mother you tend to lose sense of who you are yeah. as an individual and I did some work recently to try and figure that out for myself mm. again and I realized that kind of three core things that are 
part of who I am and make me feel good are movement, self-care and connection. Mm. And that I've just realized that morning routine is yeah. it covers all three of those. Absolutely. So that's probably why it feels good and why I also don't find it as difficult to motivate myself yeah. to go and do it. Oh, awesome. Hmm. So let's talk more about content marketing. Why do CEOs need to pay attention to content marketing? I guess, how does it differ from all the other marketing priorities that they hear about? Sure. Um, well, from my point of view, mm-hmm. and of course, I'm probably biased, okay. but um, it really is, it's the core of everything. It should be mm-hmm. the core of everything. And of course, content as a word has mm-hmm. a couple of different definitions. Of course, it can mean like content, like to feel pleased and satisfied. Um, but in the context of marketing, content mm. is basically anything an individual or a brand creates for consumption. Mm. So by that definition, content marketing and content marketing strategy, yeah, it should be the center and the core of all other activities because, you know, Content is present in everything that any brand or business ever creates. It could mm. be, you know, the website or blogs or social media, paid ads, influences, emails, um, you know, events, uh, even contracts. Like even, yeah. you know, legal contracts are still a form of content. And so I feel like if a brand really is serious about marketing to its customers and clients, then it needs to have a solid content marketing strategy at the core. Mm. And that's you know, one that sets the vision and the mission for the marketing of the business. And then it makes it really easy for all the other marketing disciplines and channels, Mm. whether that's people internally at the business or other agencies, to work seamlessly and collectively toward that singular vision. So there are, of course, like content marketing strategies and planning that, that you can create content specifically from, but a content marketing strategy in and of itself should should be that core aspect that defines the vision and the mission, mm-hmm. sets the success metrics and looks at everything holistically. So I really feel like there's been a shift in recent years, particularly in big brands, toward viewing, you know, the marketing strategy as actually being a content marketing yeah. strategy because yeah. it takes a, a it's that next like level up of that overall perspective that then each of the channels can yeah. execute against. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think in some ways, like the mass marketing easy wins have kind of been deprioritized. You know, I think back to my traditional marketing career, you know, my, I just have a multi-million dollar budget to throw around on TV and magazines and and mass market. But now we kind of, you know, they're not recognised as effective as they were before. So I think taking it up that level to look at the content and to look at what do we want, you know, what do we want to be known for? What do we want the messaging to be? And then how can we leverage all these different executions like what you just detailed? You know, how can we leverage those and entwine them so that they support each other like I think we said it earlier it's like a big web to Mm -hmm. me you know a a web of interconnected channels and assets that are that are all trying to funnel back up to the one or two objectives and I think I think you're right that that it's an overarching almost sitting above marketing Mm. is what is the content plan it's a spider drive it it's like it's like charlotte in the web You know, yeah. it's, it is the spider is, I mean, maybe we think should think of a better analogy, but, <laughs> you know, she 
controlled yeah. in that classic childhood story of Charlotte's Web. She controlled the whole web and what it ended up looking yeah. like, et cetera. And then, you know, her babies came along and they did their thing, but it was all <laughs> still aligned. It was all still aligned to her vision. Yeah. And that's, yeah, where I very much see content marketing. And, you know, for for anyone listening who's either in small business or in an in-house um, mm. position or, or freelancing, it's it's really not that big of a shift, I don't think, because if you're planning out strategies um, to, you know, do a paid ads campaign for a client or you're, uh, you know, doing their website or whatever it happens to be, it's about just asking those kind of bigger mm. questions of, well, what are the overall goals here? Yeah. Who is this overall audience? Like you've asked mm-hmm. me to, you know, do a paid ads campaign. Well, how does this fit into yeah. the broader picture? And if the clients don't know what the broader picture is mm-hmm. or it hasn't been defined, then there's an opportunity to to help them. Yeah, absolutely. I talk a lot about target market has to come first. You know, whatever you're doing, target like unless you know who is best suited and you know who is is the most lucrative for your your offer or your service or your product you you almost can't you can't do anything else and you're right like a a paid ad strategy is nothing if we don't know who we're trying to get in front of and and again when i think back of traditional marketing to digital marketing as well that target market is now the biggest opportunity because before we had no idea if we, you know, we were getting to the right people there was no way to measure it later you know we we knew that such and such demographic were likely to read that magazine or watch that TV program, but we really had no data that could affirm a that they do and then b that they did. You mm. know, it was it was such loosely gathered and mm. and, and you know uh, largely interpreted data that we would get after campaigns. Where I think, yeah, that target market piece. And again, if you know your target market then you can you can make your content objectives around what they need from you, what they want from you. Exactly. So I touched on data then uh, mm. briefly, and I do love data, and I think you're a bit the same as me in that, that respect. Um, what are your tips, I guess? How do we explore the intersection of a data-driven strategy and human-centered content? Yeah, I absolutely love this question, and it's <laughs> it's even though it's probably going to be a long-winded answer, it's actually a very <laughs> simple answer. Um, we use a Venn diagram uh, to explain this to clients and it's been adapted from my friend Matt Fenwick's uh, content framework. Mm. And what we talk about is how quality content, if we're going yeah. to define, you know, what what does quality content look like and how obviously it's different for every brand and business, but quality content is content that is created at the convergence point of what your audience want to hear and you can gather that information these days mm. from data-driven insights. So you can look at what they're searching for on mm. Google. You can look at um, what content they are following on TikTok and Instagram. You mm. can look at the search volumes uh, or the you know number of views, for instance, on TikTok that certain hashtags have. You can look at what people are searching for on LinkedIn and how they're mm. interacting with that content, et cetera. So you can gather the information about what your audience want to hear from data-driven insights. Uh, Then you need to also consider what does your business actually want to say. Mm. Yeah. And finally, where you can, as a brand, provide unique value. And that's where the human-centered aspect comes in from my perspective. So if you picture three big circles of this Venn diagram, it's that overlapping point, that convergence point of what your Mm. audience wants to hear, what your business wants to say, and where you can provide unique value. Love that. And 
you know, this plays out that like if, for instance, you find that your audience um, search for a solution to a problem that you can solve for them and, you know, you do the the necessary analysis and research to figure out if you can actually even rank for that keyword in Google or if, you know, you're likely to um, come up in hashtag searches for that mm. on LinkedIn or whatever. Um, so that's aligning to the audience and the business needs because the audience are looking for a solution to a problem and it's a problem and a solution you can solve for them and provide to them. Uh, which is what your business wants to say. But ultimately, there's no point in creating that content um, if it's just like everything else out yeah. everything else out there on that topic already. So whether you're doing a blog or a video or a series of social posts, it needs to be unique to you and the value mm. that your brand can provide. And that's where you need to create content from your own human experience that talks to the human experience of your audience. Yeah. So we love data. Data's great, <laughs> but just like AI and all the other tech anyway, mm. it still needs a human head and heart yeah. to review it and then decide on the best way to bring it to life. Yeah. So there's my long-winded answer to the, the simple answer of the question. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, I love that. I, re- I really love that. And it's funny, I recorded a podcast a few weeks ago about the power of personal brands within marketing now. And I think, you know, when you talk about that human-centered content, and I know, you know, I know it's different for big brands to small brands. And and in fact, you know, what I've been telling small business is it's your, it's a USP. It's actually where you can beat a big brand is that you have a human story. You can create human-centered content. You can connect on a personal level. People buy into you. And that actually is how you can compete with a big faceless, you know, inhuman brand or a a brand that's trying to be human, but really there's no hard point of contact. And I think, um, yeah, you know, that that power of connection. And I think partly some of that changed post-COVID as well that people and through COVID, you know, we didn't want to just connect with our brand. We wanted to connect with people. We felt isolated, and and uh, you know, there's just shifts across that, across everything. You look at celebrity. You know, we used to see celebrity from the outside, and we used to, you know, buy the glossy magazine to hear the whisperings. Well, now celebrity talks directly to us. We follow them. We get insight into their life directly, and and it's opened up a different, you know, point of connection to what it was, you know, say in our mother's eras where celebrity was on a pedestal and and you know you you only knew the the whispers or the the outward facing stuff and and I think it's the same with brands you know the brands that have become more approachable more honest more connecting and are looking at that I, I love that Venn diagram you know are looking at that where what that intersection is for them of those key factors I think that's where you've got the power to amplify your message with a smaller budget or with, you know, with faster, you know, not needing as much time to get it out there as well. Yeah. But I think, you know, a problem that uh, small business owners and freelancers Mm. definitely come, well, I have seen come up against is that they don't necessarily want to be their brand. They want their, their brand to be their brand. But to that, I would say there's a time and place for that. Mm. Like, you know, look at, look at Apple, Apple yeah. was Steve Jobs yes. to begin with, and then it became Apple, and then it became Steve Jobs again, and and now Tim Cook. But you know, there's there's other brands that when they very first started and when they were growing until they reached a point of critical mm-hmm. mass, yeah, 
their founder story was very much intersected with their brand. And I think that's where that whole, you know, comparing yourself to others in your sector and all of that jazz just is a recipe for disaster because you've got to go at your own pace. And I think the more that small businesses, you know, can be leaning into the people part of it. You know, mm. we are we are it isn't business to business, it's people to people. Yeah. Yeah, so true. And and there will come a point at which hopefully, mm. you know, that you can develop the brand into being more of a brand mm. and not so much about you, but I think yeah. it's there's a time and a place for that. And no, should- I re- I, yeah, I agree. Yeah. And I think it's that you know, that don't compare your day one to their day 100, you know, that big brand that now is faceless and can trade off its name and off its logo, but how did it start? And I think I discussed this the other week as well, like, you know, even brands like, say, JS Health, like at the start, it was very much about her, 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 her. Now they can move away from her as the core element now because the brand has you know, taken off, has its legs, is flying. But in those early days, that person that talking about my health, my problems, mm. I wanted a better way, I wanted something different, that's what you connect with in the beginning. Absolutely. And, it's you a, know, yeah. It's the same like Irene Falcone with Sands Drinks, yes. which, you know, yes. fantastic success story of a non-alcoholic drinks brand. Absolutely. Um, and drinks wholesaler, retailer. You know, she's still present and and her her marketing is is so effective because Sands Drinks now has a brand and can mm. operate as a brand. So she's able to leverage that on one side, but on yeah. the other side, she's able to leverage herself within the brand. And the like her um, paid ads, uh, social paid ads stuff mm. is incredible. It's these, often these long-winded like explanations of yeah. why she's decided to shelve a certain drink or why she's bringing yeah. in this other drink or why she's gone on this journey. And I'm such a sucker for it. Like, yeah. <laughs> and it's always her. Like it's, it's, it's always, always her. her. I, I actually know Irene from my corporate <laughs> days. Yeah. She was our media buyer when I was with Revlon. This is like 20, probably 20 years ago, wow. 15 years ago. And, you know, then she was such a genuine person. And I think she's leverage that through her marketing. Like when her ad comes up, she just seems like your friend telling you the truth. Um, it's it, Again, it's not. She didn't leave with that Sands. Uh, oh, I've just forgotten the name. That's terrible. Sands, Sands Drinks. Thank you. I was going to say yep. Sands Alcohol. Sands Drinks yeah. logo. She led with her. She led with her story, her wants, yep. her needs, took people on the journey of growing it, you know, from small to big. And and even now, you know, she's bought, I think she's bought back Nourish Life or, or I think she's relaunching into yes. a competitive space because Nourish Life has, you know, dissolved as such. But again, telling that story, building that connection because people had connected to her. She yeah. is the brand. And yeah, I think there's a massive, massive power in in that and, and recognizing that tool in your belt. And if you, you know, you don't want to because you're not comfortable or because maybe it compromises something else in your life, you know, maybe you're still in a corporate role or whatever it might be, you almost need to find somebody who can be the face of your brand or or then go really hard into UGC and get lots of content creators engaging with your brand and creating content to have that connection point and that, yeah. that tangible, you know, what is the human element of this brand? Yeah. And, you know, you said it before as well that we are all you know, we through COVID particularly, mm. and it shifted things. You know, we're feeling disconnected, and we are. You know, at, at like humans, particularly in the Western world, are reporting highest levels of loneliness yeah. that they ever had before, um, than they ever had before. And 
you know, we are more connected digitally mm. than ever before technologically, mm. but we all feel more lonely. And there's a really, you know, whilst it's not obviously a, a I guess, a true human relationship, we're much more likely to engage with a human who has eyes and a face and everything yes. <laughs> because that can fill up that little cup of, yeah. you know, of loneliness just that wee bit. Yeah, no, completely agree. Yeah. Oh, we really went down a whole different road there, but it's so, I think it's so interesting when you think about content and and just how it really is, you know, it really is everything that people are putting out now. And, and I think coming back to the web, you know, thinking about how that web needs to be needs to be designed and built and 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 you know what's at the center of it. So thank you so much for all your generous insights and expertise today. Very welcome. It's been it's been so nice chatting as it always is with you Marianne, but yeah, it's been great. Thank you so much for having me on. Thanks, Sarah. Hey, thanks for listening to another episode. If you don't want to miss one, make sure you subscribe to the show in your podcast app. And if you love it, be sure to share it with friends and colleagues who you think could benefit from increasing their digital marketing confidence. Want more? Head to MarianneAmys.com to find out how you can work with me directly, to reach out to have me speak at your event, or to grab yourself some free resources.